be back with you. We, uh, we had a great Easter weekend last weekend. I want to say a sincere thank you to everybody. I know many people stepped up to volunteer. Uh, we had a boatload of people here, and it was a bunch of fun. People gave their life to Jesus. I know the weekend before that, many of you stepped up to help with the Easter egg hunt. And so I just sincerely, from my bottom of my heart, want to say thank you for being the kind of church that wants to serve and reach our community for Jesus. Amen? And uh, can you guys just give yourselves a round of applause? Thank you so much. And uh, just a great, great couple of weeks together as a church family. It's what it's all about. And uh, my wife and I, we went away to a little pastor's retreat in Denver this week. And it was super fun. Uh, I couldn't breathe, you know, because you're like mile high. And... uh, Uh, It was also 420, and some of you know what that means. They have a festival there called the Mile High 420 Festival. We thought it was just a musical festival, but I couldn't breathe. No, I'm kidding, 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 kidding. (laughs) But, uh, you know, altitude, you're mile high, but we had a great time, and it was so awesome to be with a group of pastors uh, who just, a couple hundred pastors, just worshiping, loving Jesus. Um, How many of you know that, that to be a pastor, this is not a profession, We're following Jesus just like you're following Jesus. And so to be with a group of pastors who have that heart, who want to follow Jesus, it's not a job. Man, what an awesome, awesome privilege it was for us. But there's nothing like coming home and being able to worship with family. And uh, just a joy to be back this morning. So I got a question. We're we're doing a little one-off sermon today, and we're going to enter a new series next week. It's going to be a blast. We've got some workbooks. We're going to do some work together over the next few weeks. It's going to be fun. But today is a one-off, and we're talking about happiness. How many of you are happy? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know. If I, what's the next verse? Is there another? It's some of your feet. No, we'll be here all day. I was going to have you guys stand up, turn around, do it all, right? We'll be here all day. Amen, there you go, there you go. If you're happy and you know it, shout amen. amen. Oh, there you guys, you guys are good. It's okay to have fun in church, isn't it? But there's probably not one of us in the room this morning that doesn't want to be happy. Is there anybody that doesn't want to be happy? Any of us? No, we all want to be happy. In fact, I think it's something that God put inside every one of us, that God built us with this desire to delight, to enjoy, to be happy. In fact, scientists tell us that happiness is second only to the sense of survival, right? Um, Because we want to be happy. In fact, most of the decisions that you make in life are made in this pursuit of happiness, right? How many of you love pain? You'll make some decisions to avoid some pain so that you can, what, stay happy, right? And, and it's, it's true of life that, that in, in, in humanity, man, we make choices and decisions to be happy. In fact, as a nation, we codified it in our Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and what? Pursuit of happiness. And so in many respects, we're a nation and a people who are all about the pursuit of happiness. Now, we could all look around and go, hmm. Sometimes that pursuit's not led us in the right direction, right? Uh, Sometimes that's gotten some of us into some trouble. But what does it mean to be happy, and does God care about our happiness? I'm going to have to get a little water, another little one, because 
all of a sudden I'm dry mouth. It must have been because I was at the Mile High 420 Festival. <laughs> Does anyone have a bag of Cheetos? Kidding! I'm kidding! I'm kidding. I promise you. I'm kidding, I think. Uh, <laughs> some of you are going, who is this guy? And is he really kidding? I am. I promise. Uh, but happiness is something that we all pursue. But the, the problem and the challenge for us is, well, what is happiness? Like, you have to define what happiness is. And, and, and then once you define what happiness is, how do you achieve it? And then the next question that most of us struggle with and wrestle with in life is, how do we hold on to it? And are you supposed to be happy all the time? I mean, God gave us actually a whole set of emotions, and how does that all work out and play out? Well, what is happiness? And I love some of these quotes uh, that I was, as I was doing research over the last few weeks about what is happiness. Charles Schultz, you know, he did the, didn't he do Snoopy? Peanuts, right? He said this, he said, happiness is a warm puppy. Aww. Now, you know my love affair with cats. Pastor Aaron's the same. And you notice he didn't say cats. It's not a warm cat. Happiness is a warm puppy, right? And then uh, I I like this quote from uh, George Burns. He said it this way, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. (laughs) Oscar Wilde, he said this, some cause happiness uh, wherever they go, others whenever they go. What is happiness, right? And so we all have, and there's lots of definitions of happiness, but, but one of the things that brain scientists, and, and I'm not, I promise you we're going to get to the Bible because we're in church and we ought to use the Bible, but, but brain scientists have been doing a bunch of study and research around this, and what they've discovered, something fascinating about happiness, is that happiness can actually be communicated. It can be passed on from one person to another. And, and you and I, I mean, I, I, when I started to think about this, I started to think about, you know, kind of loving and encouraging words, thoughtful gifts, those kinds of things. But what brain scientists have actually discovered is that happiness is primarily passed on, not through the hands, not through the voice, but through this thing, the face. Now, isn't that amazing? That when somebody smiles at you, and hopefully you'll all walk out and wear your little sticker, and you'll smile at people because we're Christians and we should make other people feel good, right? But, but when somebody smiles at you, something happens. There's a transference of happiness. In fact, what they've discovered is that, that we feel the purest sense of happiness when we see that someone else is glad to see us. Think about that for a second. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That we feel as human beings, not gifts, not activities, not money, not all of these kinds of things, the purest sense of happiness that you and I feel as human beings, right, fearfully and wonderfully made, created in the image of God, the purest sense of happiness that you and I feel is when we, when we feel someone or we see someone who's glad to see us. Now, that's going to become really important later in this message. But I think all of us have probably experienced that. You know when you walk into a room and someone just is delighted to see you? How does it make you feel? There's some sort of contentment, joy, peace, happiness that you feel. You've also felt the reverse, haven't you? Right? Because as human beings, we're not perfect at that. In fact, we're probably not even really good at that. Some of us are better at the, well, 
I was going to say bitter beer face, but that's probably, I don't know if that's a good thing to say in church or not, right? But kind of the grumpy side of things, right? Like, like we as human beings are imperfect, but, but happiness is this feeling with many flavors, right? Like you've got this contentment, you've got kind of cheerfulness, you've got euphoria on the other side, you know, like when my soccer team wins, you know, uh, that kind of thing, right? You feel this sense of, this sense of goodness that happens, and it's goodness because a desire has been met. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about happiness is that, that what we're discovering is that chief among our desires, the desires that are met, is this idea of being known, valued, and loved. That, that you and I feel a sense of happiness when, when we walk into a room and somebody is just glad to see us. Why? Because it generates something inside of us that causes us to feel like we're loved, we're cared for, and we're known. And so the point that I'm simply trying to get us to understand, and and using kind of brain science and research and all of these kinds of things, the Bible tells us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I always am impressed when scientists finally catch up with what God knew all along. And what God knew all along is that your deepest sense of contentment, your deepest sense of happiness, your deepest sense of joy comes from being known, loved, accepted by other people. And I think all of us know that. I think all of us would experience that. But the question that we're trying to answer today is how do we experience that kind of consistent happiness? Because none of us are happy all the time, right? There's ups and downs in life. How many of you have had some challenges in maybe the last week or the last month? Anybody? Right? I mean, all of us experience those, those challenges. There's things that resist us that come against our happiness. And so the question that we're trying to answer this morning is, how do you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, live out and live with a consistent kind of happiness? Well, the Bible has some stuff to say about it. And, and if you've got your Bibles, I want to have you turn over to three verses in Psalm chapter 1. We're going to unpack the verses today. I'm going to leave you with some heavy revies from Scripture. And, uh, and hopefully you're going to walk out of here going, oh, that's what happiness means. That's why God is so engaged and involved and wants me to be happy. But here's what the Bible says. And, and before we go to Psalm 1, I'm just going to read this verse. It says this in Psalm 144, verse 15. It says, happy are the people whose God is their Lord. Now, you've been to some churches where that's maybe not been the case. Now, not here, of course, right? But the Bible tells us that happy, the Bible actually uses the word happy, and we're going to discover the Bible actually uses the word happy a lot. We just translated it another way. But happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And what we need to understand as we kind of embark on this journey, you know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Brain scientists are figuring out this idea of happiness and how do we thrive, and, and it's second only to our, our, our ability or our desire to survive, that, that all of us are wired for happiness. What does God have to say about happiness? What does God have to do with our happiness? And what we learn from the Bible is that God is pro-happiness, now, some of your friends and neighbors maybe think otherwise, right? Some people think that, you know, well, God's angry and God's up in heaven with a big two-by-four waiting to whack me upside the head for stepping out of line or doing something wrong. But what we discover from Scripture is that God is pro-happiness. In fact, he has designed us for happiness. The Bible actually teaches us that, that there is a consist, there's a way to be consistently happy in this modern, broken world in which we live. 
In fact, the Bible says it all over. It says this. It says, you're going to trade your sorrows for joy. You're going to tra- trade your mourning for dancing. That there's freedom in the presence of the Lord. The Bible actually describes it this way. It says, the people of God, because of God's presence with them, have what's called the fullness of joy. And so we have, because of Jesus Christ, because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, we have access to a consistent kind of happiness that the world doesn't have access to. That you and I have access to something that even in the darkest moments of life, as we're going to discover, even in the most challenging of circumstances, we have access to an unremitting, abiding, consistent kind of happiness. And I want us to look and learn a few things from Psalm uh, chapter 1. Now, Psalm chapter 1 is uh, considered like one of the gateway psalms for the book of Psalms, right? So Psalms were written by a number of authors, and uh, I love the Psalms because they're, they're heartfelt, right? It's almost like David and the other psalmists, you just kind of, they bear their heart to the Lord. And so you see raw emotion when you read through the Psalms. And so Psalm 1 is like the, the gatekeeper, not just actually to the Psalms, but many scholars believe it's kind of like the gatekeeper to the whole of Scripture. It's like a summary of what the Bible has to say. And this is what it says in Psalm chapter 1, just reading the first three verses. Blessed is the man. Now, of course, when the Bible says that, it's talking about humanity, right? So men and women. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of living water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So Lord, as we just unpack this scripture today, Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, we live in a broken world. Lord, many of us in the room are dealing with all kinds of trials and tests and challenges, difficulties that go on in our life. But But Lord, we recognize that, Lord, as we unpack your word today, Lord, would you speak to us from your word? Lord, put something in our hearts. Your word doesn't return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And Lord, we're going to go out of here different today because of your word. So the first thing that I want us to see from this passage of scripture is simply this. Happiness is possible. Duh. (laughs) That's a revy, Gareth. Happiness is possible. Look look what it says. It says, the opening few words say this. Blessed, blessed is the man who, and then it goes on into a few things. Blessed. Now, that little word blessed literally means happy, joyful, like like joyful. And sometimes we've spiritualized these words. In fact, that word blessed was translated that way uh, during when the New King James was translated, and they were trying to find an English word. They used the word blessed because it really is a good descriptor for what the original language would have said. But blessed when the New King James was written during that time period literally meant happy. And so what this verse in many respects is saying is saying happy is the man who dot, 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 dot. In other words, happiness is possible. Now, most of us, uh, you know, when we were younger, kind of felt like happiness was just something that naturally comes, right? Like happiness is just something that's natural. Um, And then your mom and dad, um, you know, sure there's unhappy people, right? But those unhappy people have screwed up somehow. 
And when you're younger, what you tell yourself is, you know, because your mom and dad said, you know, they warned you about a few things and they said, make sure not to do that. And hey, you better save some money and, and all these kinds of warnings that your parents give you. And as you get older and older and older, you begin to discover that happiness maybe isn't as natural as you thought. It's a little bit harder to come by, isn't it? And so for many of us, you know, we start this journey by going, man, happiness is just natural. Happiness is just something that happens to me, right? It's something that just kind of rains down on me. It's something that I just kind of receive because as I just live life, I just naturally get happiness. But as we go through this journey through life, what we discover and realize is that happiness isn't as easy as we thought. And for some people, what we discover is that they end up maybe on the other end of the spectrum where they kind of wonder, is happiness even achievable? Now, for most of us in this room, we probably land somewhere in that, spec- that spectrum, right? Happiness just natural thing that happens, or happiness is un- unachievable, or most of us are probably somewhere in between. But what we've discovered, and what, what even the most successful people uh, have realized about happiness is that it's not something that's just natural, right? Have you ever heard the phrase, money can't buy you happiness? I've wanted to disprove that claim, I don't think there's probably a person in the room that wouldn't want to disprove that claim, right? But, but what's interesting is that there's studies been done on lottery winners and people that have won the lottery, and what they discover is that they're no more happy. In fact, most of them, or many of them, are actually less happy than they were before they won millions in the lottery, right? Why? Because happiness, you can't, it's not something that just happens naturally. In fact, I love this quote by Uh, Jim Carrey, and many of you know Jim Carrey, you know, he did Bruce Almighty and so many funny movies, all that kind of stuff, but he said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. That's a pretty powerful, I don't know where his faith journey is, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but that's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? That man, I wish that everybody had the money and they could try all this stuff, actually sounds a little bit like the book of Ecclesiastes, Because there's something that we're after. And so all of us are on this spectrum of happiness, right? So do we believe it's natural? Is it something that's unachievable? If it's something in between? But let me ask you a question. What if there was an alternative? What if happiness was actually possible? A consistent kind of happiness. And that's what I believe Psalm 1 teaches us. And the first thing that we discover in in Psalm 1 is that happiness is possible. But if that's true, why are more people not happy? And I think because we've got a wrong perspective on happiness. And this is the second thing that we learn from this psalm. It says says this in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And the point that I think this psalmist is trying to help us understand here is that happiness that God offers us is foundational, not superficial. So happiness is possible according to the Bible. Happiness isn't something that just naturally happens to you, and happiness isn't something that's unachievable. Happiness, according to the Bible, is actually possible, but the consistent kind of happiness that the Bible talks about, and what this psalmist is trying to teach us, is that that kind of happiness is something that God gives us is foundational, not superficial. Look at what it says. He says, he's like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. Now, this tree if you notice in this passage, is subject to seasons. Do you notice that he actually says that it's not fruitful all the time? 
There's seasons of fruitfulness. It's not always blossoming. It goes through the drought of a hot summer. It goes through the icy cold of a, of a freezing winter, right? That, that we recognize that there are seasons that happen to this tree. That's why it says it doesn't, you know, it, it, does, it bears fruit in its season, not every season. And I think many times we approach happiness, in, and especially in America, we want happiness to be something that just is going on all the time. But how many of you know we live in a world where that's not always the case. We're not always going to be fruitful. We're not always going to experience this kind of euphoric, cheerful kind of happiness because we live in a world that's broken, right? The reality is that we get sick, that relationships fray, that there's fractures that happen, there's finances that put pressure on us, these kinds of things. So we live in a world that's broken. There are seasons, there are circumstances that reign upon this tree that's written about in Psalm chapter one. But notice something about the tree. This tree is different than the other trees. It says that it's a tree whose root system has access to a constant, unremitting stream of water, even when the heat and the drought come. And what the psalmist is trying to help us understand uh, is that, that many of us, we make the mistake of seeing, our circ- or seeing happiness come through our circumstances, Right? That man, I'm gonna get a surprise check or I'm gonna win the lottery or you know, everything's gonna go the way I expected to go. And we look at circumstance and we look to circumstance and want circumstance to be that which is going to provide our happiness. But what this psalmist is trying to get us to understand, what this verse is trying to get us to understand is that there's gonna be seasons in your life when it's gonna rain upon you. It's gonna be, there's gonna be seasons in life when there's the heat, right, of trials and tests and struggles, health things that go on. But the key to happiness and the key to the kind of happiness that the Bible teaches us about is that God gives us a foundational, fundamental happiness that's rooted in something other than circumstances. It's a root system that finds its roots in an unremitting, never-ending stream of water. And so happiness isn't about what happens to you, but it's about what happens inside of you. And so God's trying to teach us in a world that tries to draw its happiness from circumstances, from everything going the way we hope they would go, from all circumstances working out the way we dream and want it to go. What God's trying to teach us in this passage is that that kind of happiness is superficial. That kind of happiness is fleeting. That kind of happiness is, it passes on. In fact, what psychologists are actually learning about happiness is that many of us try to hold on to that happiness, right? And we end up losing it because we try so hard to hold on to it. And what the Bible is offering us is an alternative kind of happiness. It's a fundamental, foundational kind of happiness that is rooted not in circumstance, but it's rooted in someone else, rooted in something else that is life-giving. So happiness is not something that happens to you. It's something that happens inside of you. Some of you may have heard this little phrase. Two men looked out through the prison bars. One saw mud and the other saw stars. It's not about the circumstance, it's about what's happening inside of you. And the question that that this psalm, this verse asks of us is are we, are you a tree that's dependent upon what comes down upon you, what's outside of you, circumstances, or are you a tree who's planted by a river streams of living water that never, ever cease. And so you have to ask yourself the question, what kind of happiness am I pursuing? 
the superficial kind of happiness that's based on circumstance, or am I pursuing the kind of happiness that the Bible talks about, a tree with roots that go down into a stream, never, ever stops. And and the Bible repeatedly kind of paints this picture that the Christian isn't some morally good person who does good things, right? The the Bible teaches us that to be a Christian is to be a person who is rooted, not in circumstance, but is rooted in someone, Jesus, someone greater than us. In fact, this is what it actually says in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3. It says, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, and then look at this, and if you underline in your Bible, I encourage you to do this, so that by them, by these precious and magnificent promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. What the Bible's teaching us and what the psalmist is talking about is that if you are a Christian, that your happiness is not rooted in circumstance, that which happens to you, your happiness is something more fundamental, something that's way more internal, something that has to do with the person in whom you are rooted, who you are connected to. And the New Testament picks this back up and says, you're going to be a partaker of the divine nature. You're not dependent upon circumstance. You're not dependent upon what happens to you. You're dependent on something way greater, something way more eternal, something that never ends, that is unceasing. It's a stream of living water that constantly provides you life. And so even though the tree experiences affliction, Right? There's heat, there's drought, there's storms, there's wind, there's freezing. All of these things happen to this tree just like they happen to every other tree. What happens is that this tree, even though it doesn't bear fruit in every season, because it's rooted in a stream, it says its leaves never wither. In other words, it's possible for us as followers of Jesus Christ to have a consistent, abiding, joyful happiness, not because of circumstance, but because of who we're connected to. In fact, Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. He says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. That's a really confusing verse because he starts out by saying, In this you rejoice. Yay! What are we rejoicing in? The trials you're going through. What? How do we do this? And what the verse is not saying, right, and obviously what, what the verse is trying to communicate, what Peter's trying to communicate is because you're rooted in Christ, there's a foundational happiness, a delight, a joy that's found in where you're rooted, not in your circumstance. I'm sure you know someone who's gone through a health crisis. I know some folks in our church that are facing something uh, in a health situation that none of us in this room would want to face. And what brings great joy and delight to my heart is that even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the health crisis, there's a deep delight. There's a joy that can be found even in the midst of that circumstance. And what this verse isn't saying, isn't saying, hey, you used to rejoice, and now you're going through this heavy season. It also isn't saying that you're, you know, that you're rejoicing in him and avoiding heaviness. The actual tense, there's two present tense verbs in that passage, and what it's actually saying is that you're in deep joy even though you're in deep distress. How can that be? How can you be in deep joy in the midst of deep distress? You found the fact that you have a fundamental foundational happiness. Why? Because you're rooted in Jesus Christ. 
He is the stream that Psalm 1 is talking about. And, and for many of us, that's a struggle. How can I have joy in the midst of a trial? How can the person who is facing cancer and has that negative doctor's report and this doesn't seem to be, in a natural sense, any kind of hope, how can that person find delight, joy, even happiness in the midst of that circumstance? You know why? Because they're like a tree planted by a river whose roots draw from a stream that never stops bringing life. And this is what the Bible teaches us. This is what Jesus came to invite you and I into. And I think there's some of us in the room this morning, man, if we were just to stop and even just take a moment to just acknowledge, man, I'm going through some stuff. And I've looked at it like, man, these things are competing against each other. And is it even possible for me to have that kind of delight, that kind of joy in that moment? And I believe the answer is yes. Because the Bible repeatedly over and over and over again says that you can have life because you're planted by a stream. In fact, I want to take a moment. Maybe it's weird in the middle of a sermon to do this, but I want to take a moment just to pray. As I was preparing for this, I just felt like there were some people that, man, maybe you're facing some tough times, some challenges, some really difficult things that you're going through. And here I am talking about happiness, right? Is that even possible? It's possible. It's not possible because of your circumstance. It's possible because there's an invitation from Jesus to have your root system in him, not in the circumstance. And is there anyone in the room this morning, and I'm sure there are, that, man, could we just stop and take a moment and pray for you this morning? That you're facing a circumstance. It's heaviness, a trial, something that you're facing. Is there anybody in the room this morning, and I am asking you to raise your hand, though my wife gave me a really hard time about that earlier. But is there anyone this morning that, man, you were facing something like that? Would you just raise your hand? Come on. Now, if you've got your hand raised, I know this is, we're church, we're family. Would you, if you're sitting with somebody, sitting next to somebody and they've got their hand raised, would you just put your hand on their shoulder? We're family. Can I just take a moment to pray? And Lord, we just stop. Lord, we stop the sermon. We stop flow of the service, all that stuff, Lord Jesus, because we're family. And Lord Jesus, your word makes it really clear that, Lord, in this we rejoice. That, Lord, even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the challenge, even in the midst of a circumstance that does not make sense, Lord, whether it's the heat of summer that's bringing a drought to the soul, Lord, whether it's the icy cold of winter, Lord Jesus, that's leaving, Father, us, that person feeling, Lord Jesus, like they're out in the cold, where are you, God? Lord, you never leave us. You never forsake us. And Lord, my prayer for them this morning is that, Lord, they are like a tree whose root system, Father, finds its way into a stream, an unremitting, never-ceasing, abiding stream of life that's found in you. And Lord Jesus, I don't know, for some in the room, you're going to take them up and out of the circumstance. Some, you're going to take them around it. Some, you're going to take them through it. But Lord, for every single one of us this morning that's facing challenge, Lord Jesus, I pray that, Lord Jesus, there would be life, there would be joy, there would be happiness, even in the midst of those circumstances. In Jesus' name, come on, amen, amen. Here's the third thing that we read from this passage. Are you guys playing me off the stage? No, we're not. No, 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 okay, okay. <laughs> That's great, Gareth, get off the stage. I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. We were joking about that earlier, so. 
But here's the third thing that we learned from this passage of Scripture. Scott's going to quit on me now, so please don't, Scott. Please don't. Um, Here's the third thing that we learned from this passage of Scripture, right? So first of all, happiness is possible. The kind of happiness that God offers you is foundational, right? Not just superficial, circumstantial stuff. That's what the world offers us. And we all know that stuff is fleeting. We all know that that stuff lasts for a second. You've all bought an iPhone and loved it for like a week, and then it's become old, right? Like, that's the kind of happiness that the world offers, but the kind of happiness that God offers us is foundational. That even in the midst of tests and trials and difficulties and discouraging heavy times, there's a delight, there's a joy, there's a happiness that we can feel, that we can walk out. But the third thing we recognize in this passage is this, is that happiness can never be found directly. Look what it says in verse 2, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Happiness is always a byproduct of seeking something else. You know, one of the things you never read in the Bible is blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts after blessedness. Right? The Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible teaches us is blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts after what? Righteousness. See, happiness is always a byproduct of something else. And what's so challenging about life, and especially because of the country that we live in, right, and because of this idea of this inbuilt human desire that we all have, the pursuit of happiness, many of us will make bad decisions, wrong decisions in the pursuit of happiness, right? And what's so interesting about that is that, and the irony of it is that when you pursue happiness, you end up losing it, not finding it. It just seems to be like sand through your hands, right? But what the Bible teaches us is that when we pursue righteousness, when we pursue Jesus, the irony is that we get happiness. Because happiness is a byproduct of pursuing something else. This is what Psalm 1 is actually teaching us, right? That the person who has stopped pursuing happiness and discovered their real reason for living life actually gains happiness. Jesus uh, addressed this issue in Psalm chapter, or, uh, Matthew chapter 6. He said, hey, those of you who are worried, this is the Gilpin paraphrase, by the way, okay? He says, hey, those of you who are worried, don't be worried, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? It's hard to be happy when you're worried, isn't it? And so why pursue happiness? The Bible teaches us to pursue, right, something way greater than happiness. And the irony of it is when you pursue that thing, you byproduct is you get happiness with it. That's how good God is. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 17, he actually picks up on this same theme uh, about being like a, a tree planted by a river. And in Jeremiah 17, what, what he's communicating is it's clear that the reason why people are unhappy is that they've made something else their trust. In fact, in verse 5, he says this, those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord, they are like a stunted shrub in the desert with no hope for the future. And And... What, what he's saying is that when you pursue happiness, when you pursue kind of everything that the world could kind of throw your way, that story and all that it has to offer, what you end up is losing everything. But for the person who pursues righteousness, the person who pursues Jesus, that person's like a tree planted by the river. And, and the reality is that we come to God because he's God. Sometimes in American version of Christianity, we use God to try to get something else. But we come to God because he's God. 
God doesn't owe you or I anything. We owe him everything. And what the Bible teaches us is that we're to be those who don't pursue God to get happiness. We pursue God for God. We pursue Jesus for Jesus. And here's the beautiful irony of Scripture. When we do that, we get the happiness that we all desire. And yet the world tries to tell us a different story. And so my question to you this morning is, man, is the happiness, is happiness and the pursuit of happiness your non-negotiable? Or is happiness a byproduct of some other pursuit that you have in your life? The Bible wants us to pursue him, pursue Jesus. And in pursuing him, we get the kind of happiness that we all desire. The last thing that we discover from this passage, and we'll wrap it up with this, is simply this. Happiness isn't something that happens to you. It's something that you choose. It's not something that happens to you. Happiness, and the kind of happiness that God talks about in his word, is something that you choose. We just read these verses, but I want to read them again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. You see that the person who's described as being like a tree planted by a river, whose root system is taking in this life, whose leaves never wither, this person, right, is making some choices. And the first thing that they're doing is that if you look at it, it starts with a negative, right? It says that they choose not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. They don't stand, right, in the way of sinners, right? And it says, nor do they sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, culturally in that day, to sit in the seat of scoffers or to sit anywhere was to just describe where you belonged, who owned you, what you were giving your life to. And what the psalmist is saying here is that, that the person who is fundamentally, foundationally happy, the way Jesus describes happiness, right, doesn't sit in the way of scoffers, but they belong to someone else. There's a choice that they make. And the question that really all of us have to ask and answer, and all of us will at some point in our life, or as we kind of pass into death and stand before the creator, all of us will answer one day, where did our allegiance lie? Did our allegiance lie in the pursuit of circumstance and happiness and fulfilling my own desire? Or does my allegiance lie with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Who do you belong to? Who do you owe your life to? Is it self? Is it the world in which you live? Or is it God? And this is what the psalmist is saying. This person, the person who has learned to be happy, truly consistently happy, has made their allegiance with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They said, I belong not to myself, I belong to another. His name is Jesus. And because I belong to him, there's a care, there's a, uh, there's, there's a, a sense of freedom that comes to my life because I don't have to make things happen. He's in charge, he's in control. But look at the second thing that happens. It's not just that they made a decision not to do these things. There was a choice that they made the other direction. And it says in verse two, he made the choice or they made the choice to delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditated day and night. In other words, the person who's just found this kind of consistent happiness in Jesus has made the choice and the decision to delight in something, and what they delighted in was the law of the Lord. Now, most of us read that, and when I say law of the Lord, most of us go, oh yeah, the Ten Commandments, right? The Old Testament, the Bible, and, and true, but it's not actually what he's talking about right here. 
What he's talking about when he talks about the law of the Lord, what he's talking about is the whole story that the Bible tells. Remember in the fall, we unpacked this idea that the Bible tells a story that's an alternate story to the story that the culture and the world in which you live is telling you. And what the psalmist is saying here is that the person who is fundamentally, consistently happy the way Jesus designed them to be happy delights themselves in this story of God. They meditate upon it day and night. They think about the goodness of God. They eat up his word. They want to digest who is this God that would create this cosmos, create this planet for his glory, for our good. He would give all of this to us so that we could delight in it and enjoy him and find our deepest satisfaction and everything that we need, our complete dependence upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know the story. We turn our back on God. We want to have control for ourselves. And so we take control Our allegiance now is to self. And so what happens? We enter the fall and everything that God created is now corrupted by sin. But how good is God that he doesn't give up on us? How good is God that he says, I'm going to put together a rescue plan. I'm going to come after my people. Jesus is the one who would come and he would live the life we could never live. And he would go to the cross and he would die and he would rise again. Why? So that we could re-enter that relationship so that you and I could be like trees planted by a stream of living water, so that we could have this consistent, deep delight. Are you meditating on that? Is your life consumed with that? Jonathan Owen said it this way. He said, your religion is your solitude. Meaning, in those moments when there's no TV, no phone, You're just laying in your bed and there's nothing going on. What do you think about? Do you delight in the law of the Lord? Do you delight in this story that Jesus has invited you to be a part of? See, the person that does that, the person that chooses to go that direction, they find a deep, abiding, consistent kind of happiness. There's a story, and I'll close with this. There's a story that you're very familiar with. It's found in Luke chapter 15. We know it as the story of the prodigal son. And it's so interesting because the prodigal son, and you know the story, he, he takes his inheritance, he goes and squanders it and parties and does all these things, and then he hits rock bottom. And when he hits rock bottom, he thinks to himself, man, it can't get any worse. Why don't I just go back to my father's house and maybe my father would accept me as a servant. Isn't that interesting? He goes to his father, but he doesn't go, hey, would you accept me back as a son? He says, would you accept me back as a servant? And what he's asking of his father is, you can be my master. I don't expect you to be my father. But you know what's so interesting about the story? And you know the story. Because does the father act like the master or does he act like the father? He acts like the father, doesn't he? He says, let's get this kid cleaned up. Go get the ring. Go get the robe. Put shoes on his feet. Go kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. Why? Because there's my son's returned. That's the story that you and I are invited into. 
And yet so many of us live with this sense of, well, I just God's my master. Guess I just got to make it through life. Hopefully a few things will go my way and some happiness will come. And that's not the picture that the Bible paints for us. And it's not the picture and the story that you and I are invited into. We're invited into a story where our Father welcomes us back and we get to live from a different place. And so as we close today, I want you just to stand to your feet. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I want to ask you just that simple question, right? Some of us have been pursuing kind of happiness based on circumstance and man some days we have some good wins and many days it's just like we're getting through but today Jesus is inviting every single one of us to live life a different way to live life from a different place you don't have to be a shrub in a desert that's hoping that it rains. You can actually be a tree planted by a river whose life never, ever stops flowing toward you. This is the law of the Lord that we meditate on day and night, the story of Jesus and what he's done for us. And so this morning, just as we close our eyes, just lock in in the moment right now, I want to ask two questions and the first question is simply this I believe there's some people in this room that man you've not experienced that life ever you never even heard it maybe explained that way that that's what God's inviting me into that's what Jesus actually came to do he comes to forgive me of my sins he comes to make me like a tree that's planted by a river that there's a life that comes even in the midst of challenges and circumstances yeah that's the story of the Bible and there's a God in heaven because of his son, Jesus Christ, who wants to welcome you back. Not as a servant, not as a slave, but as a son and a daughter. Forgiven because of Jesus. And entering into new life. And I simply want to ask you this morning, man, if that's you, and you want to put your faith, your trust in Jesus, you want to enter into that kind of relationship, you want to live from that place, being forgiven of sin, and being able to walk in newness of life, if that's you this morning, would you simply slip up your hand so that I can pray for you? Come on, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Lord, we're so grateful for the life that we have because of you. And Jesus, your word tells us that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just. You forgive us of all unrighteousness. Lord, you welcome us back as sons and daughters, Lord Jesus. Lord, you throw a party. You put a ring on our finger and you put a robe on our back and shoes on our feet. Lord, you welcome us back as children into your family. So Lord, for those this morning that have simply slipped their hand up in an act of faith, simply saying, I'm putting my hand in my father's hand and I'm receiving his adoption, his welcome back to the family. Lord Jesus, we thank you for forgiveness of sin. We thank you for newness of life. We thank you for the work of your spirit in every single person this morning. In Jesus' name. Man, if you gave your life to Jesus today, we want to help you. And there's a little thing on the screen. You can text us. We'd love to do that. But before I close, I believe that there's some people in this room 
that man, we've already prayed for maybe you going through a difficult circumstance, but I know there's some of us, and I am concluding myself in this, that sometimes I live like the shrub or the, the, the shrub in the wilderness, right? Hoping that it rains. And I think the challenge to all of us this morning and the challenge to me certainly is, man, I want to live like a tree planted by a river. God wants to meet with us. And if that's you this morning, would you just simply say, slip up your hand and say, man, I want to live that way. I want that. Come on, I believe that God's going to meet us this week as we encounter him in our prayer times. Lord, this morning, Lord Jesus, we just respond to your presence. We respond, Lord Jesus, to your word. And Lord, I believe that, Lord, you want to encounter us today. You want to lead us to places of life and freedom. That, Lord Jesus, there is sorrow, Lord Jesus, being exchanged for joy. Lord Jesus, there is mourning being exchanged for dancing. Lord Jesus, there's freedom and newness of life because of our relationship with you. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make us a people, men and women, children of God, who are like a tree planted by a river, unremitting, never-ending, never-ceasing flow of your life in us, but also through us to others. And so, Lord, we praise you and we honor you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.